Welcome to another edition of the Oil Can Podcast. It's March, March the 2nd, and we are just hours away from the Edmonton Oilers uh, beginning a road trip that lands them in Nashville tonight. Uh, hi, it's Alan Mitchell, joined by Jonathan Willis. John, how are you? I'm doing really well, Al. Are you, uh, we've had a chance to see these new guys, these new cats, uh, Athanasiu, uh, uh, we've also, Mike Green, we saw him and then uh, he went away, uh, and Tyler Ennis. Uh, thoughts, early thoughts on each of these players, John, from you? Well, I, I'd just like to, you know, I, I think Mike Green's uh, handful of games with the Edmonton Oilers uh, were really enjoyable, and it's a shame, that, you know, that he's he, he's gone now. It, it it feels it feels a little bit unfair if you're Ken Holland because you had all these injuries, and you're like, okay, well, let's let's stock up the depth, and then boom, you know, the new guy shows up, gets his feet wet, and and he's gone. Uh, they're fortunate, I guess, that they have Matt Benning, who's a you know a very nice uh, third pairing right shot defenseman. But you bring Green in, and and Dave Tippett, I thought showed some signs of of really leaning heavily on Green in specific situations early. And, and it's funny because uh, when when uh, Green first arrived, I thought, and I even said it on a last week's show, I'm sure that that you know he'd be a third pair guy, maybe take some of the power play time. Well, it turns out Dave Tippett didn't agree with any of that at all. He was moving him up. It seemed like every shift he was moving farther up the depth chart, uh, and he ended up playing some pretty difficult minutes in his just two games. Second pairing, penalty kill. I I I don't know if he caught how much he played in Detroit, but he he played basically as much in Edmonton on the PK as he'd played all year in Detroit and you know, in that just getting your toes wet uh debut. Uh Tyler Ennis, uh you know, it's funny, I for a long time I said, you know, I wonder if they'll try Kyler Yamamoto on the McDavid line. That's the original thought that uh, McClellan and Shirelli had for Yamamoto. And but they kept him in rightly so on the Leon line. And then as it turns out they get Ennis and, and he's that spark plug or at least has been so far to my eye on the McDavid line. Uh and, and you know, chemistry is a funny thing. It, it either works or it doesn't. But I think Tyler Ennis and McDavid really are already reading and reacting and doing pretty well together. Well, if I remember right from last week's show, we were all pretty uh, pretty bullish on the Ennis edition. They didn't pay very much for him. He was having a great year in Ottawa, and yeah, I, I think the well, like when I when they acquired him, I, I wrote the comparison to Yamamoto because that's kind of the way he's always played, and it's it's actually hurt his career a little bit because he's had some injuries he might not otherwise have had if he was more of a perimeter type, but. Um, he looks really good on that line. He brings a dynamic it hasn't had. I think of the two wingers they brought in and, and have tried with McDavid. He's the guy who uh, who has stood out in a real positive way. Uh, Athanasiu, who he he played the first uh, game and a half, and then he was taken off, and he looks like Archibald is going to play on the top line uh, here uh, tonight against Nashville. You know he's he's a different kind of a player. I think Tippett probably pulled him off the line because there was a couple of miscues in the defensive zone. One a pass out that didn't get, and then another coverage issue. And and I understand it from Tippett's point of view. You're trying to win a game. Archibald may not move the needle a lot offensively, but he's a guy you can kind of trust and count on. Whereas uh, Athanasio, you might have to spend a little bit of time working on his game without the puck uh, before you maybe elevate him or, or you know, maybe try him on Leon's line or whatever their plan is eventually to get with uh, Athanasio. Yeah, so so far Athanasio has kind of lived up to the advanced billing, which you know he's very fast. Uh, he's he's a he's a very handy uh, piece to have on the rush. I wonder a little bit about 
I mean, like the defensive game, we'll, we'll see how that comes along. I wonder a little bit about his offensive decision-making at, at points too. Like he, there, there was one, um, oh, I'm trying to remember which game it was. It, uh, might've been the Vegas game where he got the, I think Tyler Ennis fed him the puck and he got it in the offensive zone with time and space. And he kind of skated it into a corner and the play died. And, and that sort of thing has, has happened a couple of times. So the, the problem is like, he's got a bit of a reputation for, for both of these things, for not being able to keep plays alive and, and for defensive, uh, defensive lapses and I think when you have those things and you're coming into a new system and you're trying to adapt um it's more difficult like like Tyler Ennis he's the kind of guy you bring in he's got to learn the new team system great no problem Athanasiu he's got to learn the new team system and then there's all these these other things that uh, the team's kind of counting on the coaching staff to monitor so it's it's a more difficult situation for him I've I've liked a lot of what I've seen I don't want to come off as too critical here but it's you know, it's it's not a shock that the coach looked at him and thought, okay, well, let's let's ease him back a little bit and, and try and get him going in a lesser role before we uh, before we get more ambitious with what we're asking of him. I like and don't like looking at the the lines tonight. Archibald moving up with McDavid and Ennis Yamamoto, obviously sliding in with Drysaddle and Nuge. Uh, Shahan, I like that Athanasiu and Cassian are his wingers because that's a really fast line. I, I just wonder, both of those wingers have they can be a little bit of exp- exposed uh, uh, defensively. So I, 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 you want that line, I think, John, to be a a non high event line. So I'll be interested in seeing how that trio goes. Well, I'm really interested to see if Tippett modifies his approach to them at all. Like he, uh, on the road trip, he talked about Shahan being a guy who'd, who was maybe losing it a little bit to fatigue just because he'd been asked to do so much on the penalty kill and defensive zone starts. I wonder if you don't see the, the Haas Kara duo asked to do a little bit more in the defensive zone and maybe you have McDavid and Dreisaitl hard matched against, uh, offensive lines like like to me if, if you've got Cassian and Athanasiu with Shahan that's not a not really a checking line anymore that's a line you're asking to do to do different things and, and maybe uh, carry less of a defensive load I think that's a great point now before we get to the defense uh, Neil on the road trip and I keep having this conversation with people and I'm, I'm looking forward to your answer because there, there seems to be a sense that, 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 you know, everybody's just waiting for Neil to go back on the McDavid line. I, I having watched what the results are, I'm hopeful that doesn't occur. What, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I think that's legitimate. It's uh, well, that's part of the reason they brought in two wingers at the deadline. I thought right? so. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's funny, you know, if you uh, you you bump Athanasiu down, and suddenly you're you're kind of wondering where McDavid's wingers are too, right? Because Archibald is not a long term solution there. No. Um, no. You've got Tyler Ennis, who who maybe maybe is for the remainder of the year, but then you still have one open slot. And does it go to Zach Cassian? Does it go to James Neal? Who who knows? I I think at this point it's a uh, it's a contest to see who gets it, and, and you can't write Neil off as, as much as his early results with McDavid have not been good. And maybe that's a situation where uh, Tyler Ennis, Connor McDavid, and James Neal looks a lot different than Zach Cassian, Connor McDavid, and James Neal. So that's, that's a, a possibility, too. Yeah, that's but, a great point but, you make. But my question for you is, if you're not playing Neil with McDavid, where are you playing him? Well, here's the deal, right? Like, I mean, I guess this new Shan line, you could slide him in there if you wanted to. Uh, and he likes right wing, but then Cassian's, uh, Cassian's out. The, the, the thing that I wonder about with this group now is, is like Neil at five on five is not a, a major scoring threat. 
but if he's on the roster and he's playing, then, then you know, ordinarily I would suggest power play. The power play, John, is is it's gone lights. I wouldn't change a damn thing. Like I, it's just so good that when Kleppbaum comes back, I'm assuming he gets his job back. But I mean, they they scored two goals, two vital goals in the Winnipeg game on the power play. They don't score there. They don't win the thing. Um, and it's not like Chase on is is you know passing the puck back and forth and a big part of it. But where did, does Neil land it all on the, on your power play when he returns? Well, it's funny because they uh, like um, they've kind of rotated through them all year, and both of them bring you different things. Like I don't think there's any question that James Neal in sort of that net front area, if he gets the puck on his stick, he's more likely to score a goal than Alex Chase on. I like Chase on. I like the way he defers to the other players. He's he's very good at making passes from that net front slot, which is not something I would ever think of as you know a top priority for a net front guy. But he makes it work. And the other thing he does really well, and I think we saw this last year when it was him and Lucic, and just the way he gets in in the the eyes of the goalie. I, He's really good at it. He's and I like him in the role. But I kind of wonder a little bit if if what they've been doing so far, which was rotating them through and giving the power play a little bit of something different, a, a little bit of unpredictability. I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think if they're both dressed, you rotate them through the slot. But the problem is, I don't think that both of them should be dressed. I don't like Neil on the Shahan line at all because I think they've real. I think that line has really struggled when Shahan has had a slower guy at left wing. And I think Chase on and Neil at this point kind of serve the same role for you and are, are kind of auditioning for the same spot. It's interesting because those are, you know, <laughs> they're signed for next year and they're a lot of coin. I We can talk about buyouts and trades uh, at another time, but I think that's a, a roster tweak that it has to happen here uh, before the fall. I wanted to talk a little bit as well about Clefbaum, who's on the road trip, uh, practice today with Logison, which implies uh, he won't play tonight. When he comes back in, uh, look, Nurse Bear, I think, stays together. Uh, Jones Larson have looked good, but I assume Clefbaum would play there. And then I think Jones has is, is played so well that it's almost unthinkable uh, that you wouldn't leave him in, which mean, would mean Chris Russell would be a healthy scratch, which runs counter uh, to a veteran coach preferring a veteran defenseman. So, John, I'm going to throw it to you. You will be the final authority on this. When when Clefbaum comes back, who finds the press box, Jones or Russell? <laughs> Matt Benning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only half serious, but I feel like it's a rotation at this point. Um, I think you vary it based on who you're playing and how you want to use use your defense pairings. I like Jones better than Russell. I think the, the stats bear that out. I, I think the eye test at, at this point, like Russell does a lot of things well. He really does. But Jones brings a level of dynamism that, that Russell doesn't hit even at his best. Like Jones at his worst, I think is probably worse than Russell at his worst, just because when Russell's at his worst, what he does is he gives up possession a lot, but he doesn't give up, you know, quality chances against, whereas Jones, it's a little more, um, a little more erratic. You're more likely to get a high quality chance against. So if you're playing a real risk averse style, Russell's got something going for him. But the thing is some of the passes Jones can make, like, Oh, when when Jones is on his game, and especially since he switched to his natural side, like you see him on the left, the amount of offense he's generated since since Russell's been out of the lineup has been tremendous. Um, I, I think it's I think it's difficult, and I, I think because both Russell and Jones have played on the right side, I know the coaching staff's been trying to get away from Russell there, but 
I, I really feel like we're in a position where it's going to depend on and and everybody at this stage of the year is banged up a little bit, right? So it's easy to say, okay, maintenance day, load management, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that's how it sorts out is you end up with a rotation where sometimes Russell sits, sometimes Benning sits, and most of the time Jones plays. Is is am am I way off on this hour? No, no, because no. I know you didn't even mention Benning, and and normally no. you're all aboard the hate Matt Benning train. But <laughs> I like I like my <laughs> Matt Benning fine. I want totally, totally, totally not true. Uh, Matt no, Ladislav Benning. <laughs> I, I just think the story here is Caleb Jones, and I think that they, yeah, they they have to figure out a way. I mean, I'm envisioning now, and this is craziness if you think about it. Bear. Uh, uh, Bouchard and Jones on three different pairings next year as puck movers, and we haven't even talked about Oscar Kleppbaum. The 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 transformation that's occurring. I, I think we have to give Ken Holland some credit here, and then previous drafting, whoever you want to gift uh, that to. For you know, this team is transforming in terms of speed, foot speed up front, and passing uh, from the defensive side. In in a in a year, we're going to go from from you know pound it square on every uh, on every pairing to guys who can actually move the puck up with authority. Finally, and how long? Many years have we been calling for this, but it's right here in front of us. And Caleb Jones is a part of that. That pass he made to Leon Drysaddle through the legs to me it was like an announcement with authority, like Nuke Lelouch, that he could do that. <laughs> and he has he's been doing it since it's it's such a big part of the modern game it's funny how the broadcast works because sometimes you get the camera angle that just shows you a thing right and uh, like it's got to happen at other points in the game but you don't see like if the camera angle doesn't recenter so that you can see him pass it through the legs like that you don't appreciate what a glorious pass it was um but but yeah, you you you're absolutely right. You have to give a ton of credit to the young defensemen, and that's the scouts, that's the people um, who have developed these guys, uh, including in Bakersfield, and then that's Dave Tippett too, because Dave Tippett to me has really embraced a puck moving defense in a way that we haven't seen with previous coaches. He's he's less. I don't want to say he's less risk averse, but I think he understands the risk reward trade off better with a passing defenseman or or the way he calculates it is more in favor of a guy who can maintain possession than than it has been with previous coaches and he's he's really been willing to trust and of course Jim Playfair as well but they've been willing to to throw these guys in and and their hands have been forced a little bit but you know they've been willing to use them and and that's to their credit yeah, and I think they've, they've coached them out without breaking their game down, and that's huge. Yes, um, yes. We would like to pause for a minute here on the Oil Can Podcast to ask you, our faithful, loyal, uh, intelligent listener who knows intuitively I would never dislike Matt Banning at any level, to click into the show notes for today's episode and then follow the link. Uh, is a very short survey when you follow that link and we really need to know about you you know everything about us you know where john lives uh you know what you know his cats and his dogs and his opinions but we don't know enough about you and so we'd like to find out about you the survey is 11 super simple questions uh probably 60 seconds or less and that's even if the phone rings and you get distracted it won't take long i promise head to the show notes for today's episodes click on the link oil can podcast say whatever you like uh uh remember i love matt benning and and we thank you in advance for doing that small small item for us john did you have anything you wanted to add to that 
I, I I don't like the say whatever you like. Say whatever you like as long as it's nice. I I, I don't I don't want honest self assessment here. Oh oh, in in my business you 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 search for that because it, it, no. the funny thing about the funny thing about radio is whether it's positive or negative feedback, we consider it to be good because it's a reaction. Well, that's uh, that's yeah okay okay. I, of, I, I I just I I just I just I just dislike you know honest self assessment because then I then I hear things I don't want to hear. <laughs> Boy, John, are you ever in the right business? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the beautiful thing about uh, yeah about punditry and, and Twitter and and the, the mute button. <laughs> uh, um, one thing I want to get to before we talk about the rest of this month for the orders, you tweeted out uh, earlier today something from March first of twenty nineteen in regard to over under of condors um defensemen goaltending forwards whether or not you know they would they're 12 guys and and five and a half i think was your over and under uh whether or not they would play more than two seasons full seasons in the nhl so like 150 games or whatever um and i liked it because i mean i think it's i think the players that off that list uh, who are yamamoto jones and bear who have spiked are really show some quality there's no doubt about it these are these are pretty darn good hockey players but you had five and a half as the over under and we we checked down to Ladgison and then benson and then we're 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 scouting about looking for somebody else for that point five and it just goes to show you how quickly year over year a guy like cooper marodi or uh you know shane sterrett due to injury can fall off the face of the earth and that's the life of a prospect yeah it absolutely is um i i think you you look at that list like i, I was i was probably a little bit bullish setting it at five and a half i was thinking five to six and i think we're gonna get five because bear jones and, and yamamoto to me all seem like locks barring you know horrific injury and then I, I really like the chances of Lagason and Benson hitting two full NHL seasons. I, I it's funny, I get emails sometimes from people who are a little bit down on Tyler Benson and I, I just shake my head because I, I don't know what people were expecting. Yeah, I, like, that's fair. No, like you, you you play you play in the role you play in and uh, he's he's produced at the minor league level. I'm I'm not too I'm not worried about him at this point. But it but it is funny how quickly injury comes in because you look at Cooper Marodi and Man, he's just had a brutal year in terms of injury. Uh, still no timeline for his return, incidentally, for, for anyone who's interested. He's listed as having an upper body injury. And uh, you look at Shane Starrett. I mean, he's he's able to play now, but I, I still don't think he's 100%. Um, like there, There's a reason they're leaning so hard on Stuart Skinner. So, look, I, I have a million questions about the Condors, and you were down there. So... Um... Tell us what you've got coming up, and then I have a couple of questions for you that I'm hoping you answer right now on the Wellcan podcast. Right. So I've got my big Evan Bouchard profile that I didn't get to write because he <laughs> got recalled when I arrived. But but other than that, um, I've got a Ryan McLeod piece coming because I think he's probably the prospect that people look at and go, this is the guy who could most help the Oilers in the, in the medium term. Um, and then I'm going to... I'm going to do a really broad piece focusing on a ton of different stuff because there's there's so many interesting little storylines and uh, I don't know that any of them are impactful enough to to justify a full piece. But Carol Maximov's a fascinating prospect. Dmitry Samarukov is in the early stages of that same, you know, three years in the minors curve that we've seen from Oilers defensemen the last little bit. 
Uh, there are some very interesting veteran storylines down there, guys who have um, who get a ton of credit from the young players, uh, Brad Malone in particular. You can't anybody you talk to, you never hear a bad word about Brad Malone. You, it, it's just incredibly positive. It, it's funny to to get down there was it was a real treat, and you know the organization treated me really well. But they were they're very open in terms of. Um, of talking about these players and talking about what the process was and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the readers will appreciate that reading that as much as I did hearing it. I've always felt, and I, I followed uh, the draft and the minor leagues for a long time, guys like Malone, they never get credit, but they're like, uh, uh, crash Davis in the, in the, uh, to, to nuke Lelouch, uh, in the movie, you, you, you never get players to the NHL unless you've got guys in the minors who are, you know, and, and the old line, teach them how to be pros, but not just that on the ice, uh, mentoring and, and, you know, helping the process of players getting better. And, and even though it's reported a lot, I still think it's underrated. And a guy like Malone, who, you know, I mean, he's had some NHL time, significant NHL time. I think he's probably the kind of guy they look up to because he's been in the show, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's had a real NHL career and, uh, well, I, there's there's a piece that ran here this past week um, where Dave Manson talked about uh, specifically for defensemen, but the value of having a veteran harping on a guy on the ice all the time. Oh yeah, that was a, I read, that was excellent. I read. That. I, I, I laughed out. I laughed out loud when. Word. I I was surprised he said it because they're not usually that blunt. But I started laughing and he's like, no, 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 that's it, it's important. It's part of the process. Yeah, and, no, and it is because the the coaches say these things. But you have to have that reinforcement. It can't just be the coach doing it all the time. You have to have players pushing it and and pushing it in such a way that you're not alienating the younger players. You know, like uh, one of the things Woodcroft said to me was with with a modern player, you have to convince them that it's good for them and it's good for the team. And you ha- like that's that's what has to be paramount to them. They have to see the benefit. And uh, you get a guy like Brad Malone, you get a guy like Keegan Lowe in there. Uh it, it really helps. Um, and I like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I expect that they'll, they'll probably bring, you know, a bunch of these veterans back maybe on American league contracts, um, just so that they're not taking up, uh, space once they're past the, the sort of recall stage of their career, because they, they are extremely valuable. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about, uh, down there, because I, I, um, I've been monitoring Stuart Skinner, who had a, a brilliant January. I think his save percentage in that month was 924. Uh, and he, he has not been brilliant in the re- other parts of the year based on his save percentage, which is 892 for the year. And I, and I, like, I don't know what has happened before or since January, but he had that one really good month and he has won the job there. What, did you get an idea about how the organization feels about him? Uh, is there any reason for him having been so good in January? Uh, maybe just a couple of comments about Skinner because he's a, he's a curio for me. Yeah, he's, it's an interesting thing. Well, you, you get... You get weird spikes with goalies and weird valleys with goalies sometimes. I didn't get a really good feel for for how they viewed him beyond obviously he's the starter right now. He's clearly ahead of Dylan Wells, who uh, you know a year ago looked like he was on much more even footing. At this point, it's it's hard to be bullish about any of the the goalie prospects just because the results have not been there. But th- say what you will about Skinner, I think he's he's twenty one now. He's uh, He's got time. He, the The problem is that you you have time, but you uh, it it can disappear quickly, right? Like Rodrigue is going to become a pro. They'll bring the the goalie over from the KHL. There's a lot of stuff in the system, and 
to me, if, if I'm Skinner, the time is now because you could very easily go from being a star goalie prospect to being that guy who's a sub 900 um, AHL goalie. And, and that can be a, and then you just don't get that opportunity again. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the, the window of opportunity for goalies, especially in this system, because they've got Rodriguez and Konovalov coming along. Uh, by the way, we should mention two-man advantage with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. Uh, Pierre will be with the full 60s Craig Custance from the GM meetings in Florida. They'll be joined by special guests. Scott Burnside welcomes Barrett Jackman uh, from We Went Blues as well. So we've got you covered uh, across the board on the podcast. What, what did you think about the e-bug situation? I thought it was a bunch of minutiae. I'll call it that. Uh, the system has worked fine. They, the bat, the e-bug goalie has won twice in the 10 years they've needed to use it. John, why is everybody making up such a big deal about this? <laughs> how did, uh, how, how is it put on the road trip? Well, once it happens to Toronto, it's a big deal. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I, I, I think the thing with the, the backup goalies is if, if you're a rich team, how and you the thing is you've you've got a bunch of ex pros kicking around your organization you've got goalie coaches you've got yada 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 how nice would it be to have a 36 year old who can play net you know on a i don't know a $70,000 a year job doing other things for you and then you're allowed to use him uh when you need to i i think if you're a richer team you look at that and you kind of go i i just like to hedge my bets a little bit this is not an expensive thing for me and and i don't want the zamboni driver blowing two points in march but I mean, you've, you've got to be at the upper echelon of the NHL's salary structure to, uh, to, to, or income structure to, to want to spend money on that. And it's such a, such a rare occasion. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal at all. If they really wanted to, it's 31 teams. They could pay 100 grand to the college goalie in town to do the job. Like, I don't, I just don't, I think it's, if it's happened twice in a decade, it's a non-issue. It just seems to me that, that the NHL spends way too much time worrying about, I think you're right. I think because it happened in Toronto, it was an issue. And thank God, apparently, uh, they've decided to do nothing about it, which is what the NHL does best. And they're moving on from it, so. <laughs> It's the um, same as their concussion strategy, except exactly, exactly. It never that, that's happened. That's a little unfair. That's, it never that's, that's happened. A little... <laughs> you got your bell rung. Get in there. Uh, final one I wanted to ask you about because I think this is as good as this season has been. The Oilers have played sixty-five games. They have seventy-six points entering tonight. That's all in the bank. I'm going to say they need 94, which is 18 points in their last uh, 17 games. Eminently doable. The Calgary game is April. There's 16 games in March uh, on the road to Nashville, Dallas, Chicago, at home to Columbus, Winnipeg, Vegas, and Islanders. Back on the road to Philadelphia, Washington, Ottawa, and then at home to Tampa Bay, Anaheim, Colorado, San Jose, Anaheim again, and then Vegas. So I have them going 7-6-3. and three, 17 points in 16 games, which would mean they'd come out of this with 93 points and a game to play. Uh, where do you come down? Is that is that overstepping or is that in the range or do you, are you more bullish than them? Uh, I think that's right in the range. So Al warned me this question was coming in advance. He, he very rarely does this. He likes to surprise me, but he warned me. So <laughs> I very, very quickly strolled through the Oilers' uh, March schedule, and I, I had him at 8, 5, and 3, so 19 points, so, so two okay. up on you. I'd say yeah. saw off the difference, project him at 18 points through, through March, and that's, uh, that would be about right. 
So the 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 one the the thing that came up on the show this morning that I want to ask you about is, and this is a trick question. So, uh, and hey, I have had no I've had no forewarning of this. So this your yeah. love of putting yeah. me on the spot well, continues. It's the, the one time in our entire relationship I've done this, yes. I feel like only I, only I this can. one time. Uh, if the orders are locked and loaded, uh, and they're in the playoffs in game eighty two, but Calgary needs the game badly in game eighty two. And the Oilers have the option of resting Leon and Connor and whoever else they want to rest. Uh, would you rest the players, knowing that the Winnipeg Jets or whomever is going to be mad as hell if you don't play your your best players, but you don't want them injured? It's game eighty-two. The game means nothing to you. Uh, or do you play McDavid and Leon, either rest them and play them, but not twenty minutes on that night? How do you how do you decide on that? Well, the one thing I'd point out is the Game 82 is April 4th, and Game 81 is March 31st, so you've got a bit of a break there. Um, I would think you, you know what, you do what's best for your team. Forget about the rest of the league, they don't matter, you you don't care. Dave Tippett, Ken Holland, Connor McDavid, none of you have to do favors for the rest of the NHL. Um I, I, I'm skeptical they're going to be in that position because the Pacific is so tight that I think the two points is going to matter even then. But to me, looking at it right now, if the game doesn't matter to you, I think you dress those guys and I think you go easy on them. You, you know, you play the McDavid line, maybe in, instead of if, you know, if McDavid normally plays whatever he plays, what's he at? 22 minutes a night right yeah, now? Something like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you play him 16 or 17. Maybe you do the same right. thing with dry sidle. You, you, you don't overtax them, but I don't think you know, I think as a, as a final fine tuning before the playoffs, you go with your playoff lines and you just adjust the order of the minutes. Is that your answer? My answer was I'd play them and I would, I would back them off a little, you know, I wouldn't play them 20 minutes a night. I, I'd probably play them power play and then a little bit. Um, so I would, I would keep the, the idea that, that my best players were playing. Um, Calgary would be crashing and because they'd, they'd want to, you know, get the two points. Um, I have, I have two more items I want to ask you about, though. Dom has uh, his forecast today has the Flames as the most likely opponent for Edmonton. How good would, would a first-round series between the Alberta teams look, in your opinion? Okay, well, if I'm drawing, as somebody who covers the Oilers and enjoys chaos and enjoys really good hockey, if I were drawing up the schedule, I would have Calgary in the first round and Vegas in the second round, because I think that the Calgary series is going to be, would be fantastic, right? Like, battle, we've seen how good the Battle of Alberta can be when both teams are competitive this year. Uh, a seven-game series would be insane. And then Vegas, like, I was talking about this with uh, with Jesse Granger in Vegas when I was there, and he, he was telling me, you know, Vegas is usually the fastest team on the ice, but are almost always, and, and Edmonton's the one team that it's it's really comparable. So in, in terms of uh, playoff speed, I, I think Vegas-Edmonton would be just a just a brilliantly fast series and a lot of fun to watch, as much as I think Vegas is a terrifying team. Uh, the other one is Canucks. Are they, are they in uh, as much danger as I think they are without uh, their goaltender, Markstrom? And do you think they should, was that the cap? No, uh, my son seems to have gotten something very exciting to him. I locked the cat away. So five minutes before this, I went, okay, cat, you're going to go in the cat carrier and you can hide in the basement and you won't make any noise. And 
ah, the kids have been so good, but my, my well, son just got very okay. excited it's there. A, it, it was a creaky door. You should have uh, put three-in-one oil on it. It'd be fine. Well, you, you, uh, know, you know what it is. You know what it is, is he heard me talking about a Vegas Oilers playoff series, <laughs> and he, he, he thought that the speed was exciting, too, and, and, well, and that was just his is. exuberance. So, quick question, Canucks, should they trade for a goalie? Because even though he can't play in the playoffs, I, I feel like they're – their current situation is they they gave up four in the third period yesterday. Is it is it a big deal or do you think they should ride with what they have? The thing is, goalie performances are so erratic. Um, well, you saw one of the things I thought was interesting um, that we didn't really talk about last, or maybe we did a little bit. Anyway, Carolina at the deadline, everybody kind of expected them to get a goalie, right? Because yeah. Mrazek and Reimer were hurt, and instead they went and got other things and. Uh, decided to to roll with their American League goalies for as long as they needed to. I I don't think there's a huge difference. I think a good American League goalie can come up and um, and play good minutes for you when when you need them to. Uh, obviously, they haven't had good minutes from their goaltending uh, since Markstrom went down, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't even think about it. I roll I roll with what they have. Now now am I am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> no, I, I I think it's too late. I just I think you're maybe if yeah. somebody gets on waivers or you you play the guy you acquired, but I mean the the, the die is cast. You have what you have. Uh, John, well, this so was fun. Just I just be, this. before we before before we quit though, before we yeah. quit, since we since we since you brought up Vancouver and since our our reader our listeners um, mostly Oilers fans don't enjoy Schadenfreude at all, how funny would it be? <laughs> If Vancouver paid all of those assets for Tyler Toffoli and went all in on the playoffs this year and finished two points out. Oh, pain. Pure pain. Because they've done what I think Shirelli did a little bit. Uh, yeah. We can talk about that again with the JT Miller and the other uh, thing. It's, it's, it's those, those reboots that they've done. They're so dangerous because if it doesn't work, you've given up so many assets for the future. Um, I'll say this: that Quinn Hughes guy is going to be great for everyone. Oh, oh man, they've they've got some great young players. It's uh, yeah, they're they're going to be fun to watch. For, it's the, those Vancouver Edmonton games are going to be fun to watch for a long time. I suspect an offer sheet on Hughes. Just saying. All right, uh, listen. Thanks for this. I appreciate it, John. You were great. Don't forget to please rate and subscribe to the Oil Can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the oil can, you get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Thanks for listening.